0: You're listening to The Special from The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Special here on The Retail Exchange podcast with me, Martin Popplewell. Coming up in this episode of The Special, we'll be joined by Ocado Solutions CEO, Luke Jensen,
1: the grocery industry is a very, very tight margin industry. So most grocers around the world are running at a net margin of two, three, at best 4%. And so if you add a a whole bunch of costs on top of that, people running around stores preparing orders, that's always going to be a challenge. And so one of the questions that's raised for many grocers is how If grocery online is going to be not just two, three percent of your business, but if it's going to be 10, 15, maybe in the future, 20 percent of your business, how do you actually have a set of business systems that are uh, scalable in a profitable and sustainable way? Also
0: ahead, we'll talk to Chris Carter, CEO of e-commerce agency Melody
2: life's tough, it's going to get tougher. What they need to do is they need to integrate um, some of the, the best in digital commerce. So online ordering, you know, home delivery, they can introduce social commerce into their offering. I mean, there are some great examples of, of Amazon and what Amazon are doing with Amazon Go and Amazon One. Um, you know, some of the technology that they're introducing into the physical space will help make people feel far more comfortable because we're we're taking out any of that um touch component. Um, Amazon seemed to be doing for the physical space what Ocado seemed to be doing for the the online space.
0: Plus, we'll be talking shopper loyalty, resilience and more with David Clements, Global Retail Director at Consumer Data Scientist Specialist Dun Humby.
3: As we look ahead, there's a lot of increased economic uncertainty and and more pressure on household budgets. So, we think we're about to see the full economic impact on retail start to come through, which is going to mean a huge focus again on value and prices. And so, you know, those traditional retailers that aren't competitive enough will probably see customers shift back to some of those low price discount stores. All that to
0: come right here on the Retail Exchange Podcast. This is the special from the Retail Exchange with me, Martin Popplewell. In this episode, we're looking at grocery e-commerce as shoppers ready themselves to shop online for their festive food favourites this year. Who are set to be the winners and the losers this Christmas, and why? We ask what grocery retailers can do as they attempt to upweight their e-commerce experience to build customer loyalty. What impact a COVID Christmas is likely to have on grocery retailers' home delivery solutions, and explore the the technological advances that are powering e-commerce growth behind the scenes. We start with Chris Carter, CEO of e-commerce agency Melody. So, Chris, we've had a a very significant year in retail uh, and lots and lots of changes. And for the grocery retailers, uh, there's been a big shift towards online shopping how is that going to affect the Christmas season, in particular, when it comes to the loyalty cards and the loyalty uh, plans that lots of supermarkets have?
2: So, I mean, if yeah, looking at online, I think we will continue to see the traditional promotional offers that shoppers love, um, which have essentially always been built around data and insight that the retailers hold. Um, but I suspect the focus this year will be um, probably on discounted products, um, unique lines, some extra loyalty card points. What they'll probably avoid doing is multi-buys, extra product-free, um, which essentially is just going to increase pressure on deliveries. But actually, I think that by far the biggest um, loyalty driver this year will actually just be logistics. Essentially, consistent, you know, guaranteed and safe delivery slots. We go back to you know where we were in March. Um, there was a huge amount of press coverage on limited delivery slots. you know, virtual queuing. We had loads of issues with rationing on key lines. Um and then you know the unthinkable happened, and large retailers paused their their delivery subscriptions. um and uh, you know they weren't able to bring new customers on board. So I think, and even now, some of those are still paused, um and they're only releasing you know limited number of slots for new customers. So over the last what six, nine months, retailers will spend a huge amount of time and money investing in their infrastructure to cater for the demand. Um, and we've already start to see it now with, you know, one month, three months, six months, 12 months, you know, midweek or any time delivery passes um, or even free delivery. And I think that's going to be massively important this Christmas. And that will be almost like the, the currency for loyalty.
0: What kind of goods do you think shoppers will respond best to in the run-up to Christmas?
2: I think there are a number of things that that people are going to focus on. Um, I think we'll see a lot around um, home health and wellness categories. They're pretty much safe bets. I think the home entertainment category will be really important. Anything that you do at home, because it sounds like we're going to be spending more and more time at home. So TVs, tablets, gaming devices. I think fitness products like Fitbit will be in huge demand because people are so focused on, you know, not just themselves, but also their families, health and well-being. Um, I also think, interestingly, uh, new passions are going to drive very thoughtful purchases this year. There was some research by eBay um, earlier in the summer uh, where it suggested that over 50% of consumers took up a new hobby this year. So, I think what we'll see is a lot of people um, buying for hobbies. So, buying for hobbies their families have have started. Um, and I, I think the stats are something like 20% of people started baking, uh, 20% started gardening, a lot of people did home improvements. So, I'm sure we'll start to see um, a, a lot of purchases around kind of thoughtful hobby-based gifts
0: what do you expect to see from grocery retailers as they attempt to upweight their e-commerce experience to build customer loyalty?
2: Well, um I think what we'll we'll start to see is um, yeah, effectively, a five-year plan for retailers has become a five-month plan. They've had an incredibly challenging working um, uh, period of time, um, and we've seen thousands of new jobs being created as a result of that. I think, what we'll start to see is very valuable insight into how people shop. So, as more and more people are becoming familiar with their um, e-commerce platform, um, we're going to see more about how they shop. And there'll be a lot more testing of new functionality. So, we'll see far more intuitive sites. They might bring to life seasonal events in a much more immersive way than we've seen before. I think we'll see more artificial intelligence built into the algorithms. So, we'll have um, you know, better recommendations. We'll have substitutions that are super relevant if they need to be. I think we'll also see better inventory visibility. We'll see better delivery tracking. Um, we might even see, you know, sampling via delivery.
0: And when it comes to online retail, we see a massive rise in that. Is there anything that retailers can do to, to, to get people back in the stores?
2: So, I think for physical retailers, yeah, life's tough. It's going to get tougher, especially those that are trading on kind of discretionary um, purchases as opposed to necessity spend. Yeah, we've certainly seen new uh, shopping habits formed over the last six months. Um, And the physical retailers are at the mercy of any further lockdowns. Um, And especially those that haven't really embraced e-commerce, yeah, they're at the mercy of, of much more progressive competitors. I think what needs to happen is, you know, physical retailers need to almost better capitalise on the the unique attributes that their environment provides them. So that could be creating theatre experiences, you know, demonstration of products and services, maybe championing all things local. We've seen a big migration to local over the last six to nine months. But what they need to do is they need to integrate um, some of the the best in digital commerce, so online ordering. You know, home delivery. They can introduce social commerce into their offering. I mean, there are some great examples of of Amazon and what Amazon are doing with Amazon Go and Amazon One. Um, you know, some of the technology that they're introducing into the physical space will help make people feel far more comfortable because we're we're taking out any of that touch component. Um, you know, Amazon seem to be doing for the physical space what Ocado seem to be doing for the the online space.
0: It's always a bit of a nightmare trying to get those uh, delivery slots at the beginning of Christmas and the Christmas season uh, because they all get booked out. One can imagine that as we go into a Covid Christmas with lots more people shopping online, that's going to be even more of a challenge. Or have the supermarkets started to build up their capacity uh, so that they can fill in uh, and fulfil the need for those extra delivery slots?
2: Yeah, I mean, supermarkets have have started to do that. I think they were very much thrown in at the deep end um, six to nine months ago. Yeah, consumers pretty much turned overnight to home delivery, um, and unsurprisingly, the infrastructure was massively compromised. But since then, they've they've worked very hard to optimise the technology and recruit staff. You know, Tesco recently announced. I think they've more than doubled their delivery capacity, um, taking it from I think it was about six hundred thousand a week to one point five million. Um, and they've included 674,000 just for vulnerable customers. Um, they've also started to provide a, a four-week priority slot view, um, so you know what your slots are for the next four weeks. Yes, yeah, Sainsbury's has extended their delivery hours. They've doubled their capacity. I think they've got 1,000 new delivery trucks on the road something like two hundred or 250,000 new click and collect opera, um, options. So, that they, they are investing heavily in the infrastructure to make sure that they're able to cope with the, the demand. But I still think there are challenges with getting slots. Um, there are still issues around um, sl- slots being paused for new customers because they're still trying to manage their existing customer
0: base. Waitrose, of course, uh, famously split from Ocado. Was that a wise decision?
2: I don't think at the moment it seems to have negatively impacted them so far, but it is early days. But it's, it's also not as though they didn't have a home delivery solution in place because they had Waitrose.com. I think you know we'd all agree, no doubt, um, in hindsight, the timing could have been better. Um, but that said, weekly online orders have increased by, I think it's 20% since the beginning of September. Um, they've also increased their capacity by about 50%. I think they're doing 160,000 delivery slots a week now. Um, And they've got a new fulfilment centre they've set up in Enfield. They've got another one that's being set up later this year. And they've also spent money revamping kind of innovation within their food range. So they've got something like 5,000 new or updated products that are being released. So I think, you know, they've worked very hard in the background to try and mitigate any challenges around the split from Ocado.
0: Of course, Marks and Spencers are now with Ocado. Uh, Have they together been taking the, the right steps to make sure that they can meet demand?
2: Yeah, um, I, I think they have. Um, I think they had a, a slightly rocky first few days. Um, there was some noise on social around people who had their um, deliveries cancelled, but I think that was teething problems. Um, but we've seen you know, an increase in basket size from the previous Waitrose Accardo partnership. Um, very much um, a, a lot of strong forward demand. Um, and they've got a tried and tested model. They're they're leveraging a model that has been in place for a number of years in the the Accardo model. Um, I think they've invested heavily in technology for processing up to sixty five thousand orders a week um, and. I think the 1st of September was the busiest ever day they had for orders. So they have invested heavily, but they're with the right partner. You know, Arcado is known as being the expert for all things um, online delivery focused. So I think um, they're in, in partnership with the right team.
0: And I know it's a little way out, but at this stage, who would you say is best place in terms of the grocers to win Christmas? I mean, it depends a little bit
2: by what you mean as win. I think Tesco will win out on scale, you know, capacity, affordability. But I think I'm most excited about MS and how they fare. Because if you look at the combination, it seems to be right combination, right time. You know, traditionally MS owns Christmas with their feel-good Christmas range. Um, and you've got Acardo is a is the online grocery pioneer. Um, you know their expertise is is um, invaluable when it comes to anything online shopping related. So I think you've suddenly got access to 74% of the population for MS that they wouldn't have had before. Um, and they've put a significant amount into their ranges. They also are looking to add, I believe it's about 800 new options into the run up to Christmas. And no doubt they'll capitalize on their reputation for high quality, you know, party treats. So I think it's come at a really good time for them because what we'll what we'll see is people hopefully migrating to um, MS for some of those kind of Christmas treats. But then they'll start to see the value in the rest of the range. Um, and they'll end up kind of staying for the for the staples so i think it's a really exciting time for them
0: how much is aldi going to suffer i mean they don't have an online offering uh, how much of an impact is that going to have i would imagine a very significant one
2: it, it is yeah i think um you know the challenge they've got is they can't offer this multi-channel experience that the other retailers can offer and i think what we're going to see is shoppers are going to get less promiscuous this year and they're going to be less keen on those split shops. You know, I think you, you can buy certain things from Aldi online, but you certainly can't buy groceries. Um, so, that forces people into into a split shop. So, I think they've really missed out on that, that shift um, to online during the pandemic. Um, and I'm not sure that we're going to see them being able to invest in it you know, they've, they've challenged as far as margins are concerned. And there's a huge amount of investment. No doubt we'll see them do more partnerships with third-party delivery models. I mean, Aldi's got a small delivery trial, I think, that's going at the moment. But at the end of the day, the, the big four are working really, really hard to stop shoppers reverting to that kind of split shop model that happened in the past. And I think recently, Tesco's even pledged to match Aldi prices on on key lines.
0: Chris Carter, thank you for joining us on the Retail Exchange podcast. You're listening to The Special from The Retail Exchange with me, Martin Popplewell. Even by the most optimistic of forecasts, the demand for online grocery shopping in 2020 as a result of the pandemic has been huge. It's resulted in significant challenges for retailers in the sector, but, as ever, continued investment in technology and automation at Ocado Solutions has meant that the business and its retail partners remain well-placed to capitalise on the opportunities. The Retail Exchange correspondent Liz Morrell spoke to its CEO, Luke Jensen, about the changing grocery landscape, continued technology advancement, and how the pandemic has helped to debunk some of the myths surrounding grocery e-commerce.
1: One of the interesting things, I think one of the myths that existed before was that online shopping, including grocery online, was about a small proportion of the population who are tech savvy and uh, buy things that way. The, The truth was that it was already become quite universal. So if you actually look at penetration of online grocery, even before COVID, the overwhelming factor is families. So it's basically if you've got a big household and you need to plan your shopping it is super convenient to shop online because if you're managing a budget for a family and you have to go out to the supermarket once a week and do a big shop, that's you know half an hour in your car, then an hour in the supermarket, sometimes with uh, uh, shouting kids in your trolley, uh, and, and then back home. And <clears throat> there, there's obviously enormous convenience to be able to have your groceries delivered straight to your door. Uh, and that was something that was already the case before COVID. Now, obviously, it's become even more the case post COVID. So, although prior to COVID, online penetration in the UK of grocery online was around 7 8% of total grocery sales, actually, you already had nearly half of households in the UK that used it from time to time. And of course, that's the percentage that's gone up substantially with many, many more households having had the opportunity to try out grocery online during that period and obviously find out how convenient it is.
4: And obviously, you are known for innovation and and known for incredible solutions, but nobody anticipated this. So, um, I guess COVID has has challenged your playbook and business as well. So, um, what new ways of working and and inventive thinking have you had to bring in to uh, to kind of further innovate and, and cope during this time?
1: Well, Ocado is two businesses, as you may know. One business is our retail business in the UK, uh, the vans that roam the streets that everybody's is aware of. But also, we are now a global technology business, selling those grocery e-commerce solutions to grocers around the world. And what we've seen is that around the world, in many markets that were in some cases less advanced than the UK, including the US, the appetite for grocery online shopping has grown tremendously. So we have really doubled down on innovation in terms of finding the most cost-effective ways, the most efficient ways of ensuring that when people shop online, they have a great customer experience. And one of the challenges with shopping for groceries online is quite often when orders are prepared in stores as they are for many retailers you know you're you're exposed to the fact that products may be missing in the store which obviously happens all the more when you're in a period where you know people are rushing for the shelves uh, and so we've really been able to take advantage of the fact that the technologies that we've developed around warehouse fulfillment allow to genuinely give shoppers what they've ordered when they've ordered it
4: So what are the challenges that that sort of scaling presents grocery retailers when it comes to delivering a robust, reliable and shoppable online experience?
1: Probably the most important challenge with scaling is actually having a business that is sustainable for the long term Uh, because the immediate response to the big increase in growth uh, was obviously to throw more resources at fulfilling orders and for for many grocery retailers, that meant more people running around the stores preparing orders for customers and I think that what that has brought into focus is that yeah, that 's a difficult system to work profitably uh, because the grocery industry is a very very tight margin industry, so you know, most grocers around the world are running at a net margin of two three at best four percent and so if you add a, a whole bunch of costs on top of that to have people running around stores preparing orders, that's always going to be a challenge. And so one of the questions that's raised for many grocers is how, if grocery online is going to be not just 2 3% of your business, but if it's going to be 10 15 maybe in the future, 20% of your business, how do you actually have a set of business systems that are uh, scalable in a profitable and sustainable way? And so yeah, you know, that's where the models that Ocado has developed around warehouse fulfillment have been particularly effective because you save a lot of money. You know, essentially, you know, an order that may take uh, more than half an hour to prepare in a store can be prepared in six minutes, an order of 50 products in, a, in an automated warehouse. So those are some of the questions that have come about as a result of the need to, to scale the business.
4: What else will be different for 2021, and when it comes to building winning models for grocery online? What other lessons need to be learned? What other initiatives need to be put in place?
1: I, I think we probably all need to prepare for the fact that the penetration of online is just going to be much greater in grocery. So, you know if you take the UK, uh, <clears throat> you know, by most common measures, we've gone from seven eight percent to uh, around 14% online. Uh, if you take markets like the US, it's gone from 3 4% to close to 10 So there's been tremendous growth, and that's something that is likely to be here to stay because one of the things that we've observed historically is that when people try grocery online for the first time, they are likely to stick. Not necessarily that they'll shift all their shopping to online, but it will become part of their repertoire. So if they shop you know, twice a week, so eight times a month, then probably three of those shops are now going to move online. And the other thing we find is that once people have shopped four or five times online, then they really stick. It becomes absolutely part of their habit. And in fact, it becomes the main way in which they shop. So I think being prepared for that permanent shift, which I think all the evidence is pointing to, is that even when things do return to normal, which we all hope they will at some point in the future, that actually habits will have changed in a lasting way.
4: Um, And do you feel that will have changed across all markets I mean I know you said before again that the myth is that it's just for millennials it's not you know it, it's for the family shop and, and that's been so helpful during lockdown and afterwards as well but also it's it's helped the older customers we've seen older customers non-tech savvy customers and vulnerable customers kind of come onto the platforms um, where they might not have had before so I guess that has been the, the sort of game changer the sector needed are you confident that will continue you and how what will that mean in terms of approaches to deliver frictionless shopping experiences what else would need to be done
1: well yeah to give you an example that's close to home my parents are 84 years old and they probably wouldn't have dreamt of shopping online previously uh, they found themselves in lockdown as part of a vulnerable group and they started shopping online and they realized with a the cardo quite Yes, indeed, with a car, yeah. <laughs> and and they, they were delighted. By the way, with the switch to M&S, uh, and uh, and and you know, they they are they are now here to stay. You know, they realize that you know the the, the convenience of having a delivery to their doorstep, where they don't have to traipse to the shops, is has made enormous difference to their lives. And you know, now that they've learned how to do it and they're comfortable with doing it, it'll definitely be here to stay for them. And I think that they're a good example of that group, uh, which may have been a a bit uh, cautious and uncomfortable with trying it for the first time. They've tried it and actually they've realized just quite how easy it is and quite how convenient it is. And I think they are typical of, of a lot of people in the market.
4: So, just out of interest, I mean, how much sort of persuasion did they need?
1: I mean, they were. It's interesting because, of course, that they were delighted with it, and I think people always have a barrier of perceived risk to change. You know, when you try anything new, you always have that barrier of change. And so, what what is important about that experience when people try it out? is that they're not disappointed and there are two things that are at the heart of you know a satisfactory experience with shopping online one is getting your delivery on time and the other is that you actually receive what you've ordered Uh, and uh, it's one of the reasons why Ocado has done so well in the UK as a retailer is that it scores higher than any of the other players in the market on on those two counts and Once you've got that, you know, suddenly those anxieties that you had about shopping online go away because you you don't have that awkward moment of, well, somebody's they've come to the door and, you know, I had to wait hours for them to come and that was stressful. Well, no, if they're on time, you take that stress away. If when they arrive at your doorstep and they have what you've ordered, again, that's a good experience. You've taken the stress out of it and, you know, hence success.
4: You've mentioned delivery and, and availability of what people have actually ordered um, as being the, the main two frictions that can uh, hamper it. Is there anything else that grocery retailers need to be working on to uh, to optimize the opportunity that they've got at the moment with this shift of, of new people going online?
1: Yes, I mean, I think that those, those are really the keys. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, then there's, of course, the question of you know, capacity, availability of slots. Uh, which also becomes critical so that people get a chance to try you out. Uh, and in combination, those those things are really the things that make it possible to bring more customers online, make them comfortable uh, and and grow the business for the future.
4: Are there any lessons that general retailers can learn from the work that the grocery guys have done, um, including yourselves in terms of innovation and and uh, you know, really delivering on that demand when it was needed and, and continuing to deliver on that demand now?
1: I mean, I think the key thing is probably recognising that, as I was saying earlier on, that it's here to stay. So, whatever solutions you come up with need to be sustainable solutions for the long term. You know, it's amusing when you, when you see, you know, uh, initially when lockdown happened, everybody was – complaining about the fact that grocery online slots were not available. Um, but it's a bit like the fact that when people started shopping like crazy in grocery stores, they were all complaining that there weren't loo rolls in packs of 16 times three for every single shopper in the store. Now, the reason why loo rolls were not available in those quantities is because the way the industry sells loo rolls effectively and at low cost is by running a pretty tight supply chain. And so, you know, in fact, there was enough loo roll for everyone, but everybody was up in arms because they couldn't suddenly go and rush and buy more. The same way you know, when suddenly everybody wanted to shop online, uh, there was a barrage of complaints about the fact that there weren't enough online slots available. I think to me what's much more important is that the industry needs to be able to deliver that capacity in a sustainable way over time. So I think whether it's in grocery or in other sectors, it is all about being able to have a sustainable working business system that offers great service come what may. Uh, and, you know, that applies whether you're in grocery, whether you're in clothing, or in any other category. Uh, it's basically being able to deliver great service day in, day out. Uh, and, and, you know, then you find ways of you know, squeezing more demand where possible. Yeah, you know, There was a time, for example, when Ocado was squeezed for capacity, you know, we had to decide what to do to be able to create more capacity. So, for example, we took a decision that was that we would, for a period of time, not be selling bottled water because bottled water takes up a lot of volume in the vans. And, you know what, in the main, although I like my bottled water as much as anybody else, you know, in this country we have perfectly clean and good tap water, and by not selling bottled water we were able to deliver groceries to 6,000 more households a week that were in need for groceries. So, you know, you, you, you find ways of squeezing capacity by doing smart things like that.
4: So, what do you see as the future challenges for the, for the business?
1: Well, I think there's, you know, uh, growth, growth, growth. <laughs> really, that's, yeah, there's so much potential demand in the market uh, that it's all about managing to serve it effectively. So, you know, we are investing in, in more capacity. You know, we, we were already ramping up at the beginning of COVID and have continued ramping it up. The biggest automated grocery online facility in the world, which is uh, in Irith, uh in East London. And we are bringing on stream next year, extra capacity uh, in Bristol, in Perth Fleet. So we're We've got more facilities coming on stream that will be able to satisfy that demand, and that is that's the top priority for us. In the meantime, we've also, for other retailers around the world, during in the midst of COVID, we opened our first two international facilities: one in Toronto for Sobies, and one in Paris for uh, Casino Monoprix. And yeah, those came on stream at exactly the right time, and it was it was rather challenging to. <laughs> open, highly sophisticated automated facilities while being enormously restricted in terms of our ability for our experts to travel to those locations. So there there was a lot of um, creative working around uh, Zoom and Hangouts and other video methods to be able to bring on the stream highly sophisticated facilities around the world. And that's continuing in the coming year. We're opening our first facilities in the U.S., uh, in the first half of 2021, so that'll be another exciting uh, point in the development of our business.
0: That was Luke Jensen, Accardo Solutions CEO, talking to the retail exchange's Liz Morrell. I'm joined by David Clements, Global Retail Director at Consumer Data Science Specialist Dunhumby. The business originally gained prominence for helping establish Tesco Clubcard. Today, it works with retailers and brands around the world using the science of shopping to power smart operations and sustainable growth for the likes of Danone, Coca-Cola, L'Oreal, McDonald's and several international grocery retailers, including Metro, 7-Eleven and Co-op Norge. David Clements, thank you very much indeed for joining us. How would you say the traditional approach to driving customer loyalty has been affected by the change in customer behaviour uh, and the change in all of our behaviours because of COVID-19?
3: Well, we've certainly seen some significant shifts in behaviour. Um, our most recent data shows that 48% of consumers are doing fewer trips and 54% are visiting fewer stores. But we're actually seeing bigger baskets, around 18 to 20% bigger than last year. So customers are looking to do a bigger weekly shop, be it in-store or online. But in terms of
0: customer loyalty, yeah, how has that affected the equation and what effects has that had?
3: Well, in a way, because of these, you know, less shopping around, uh, more focused on a a single store, it has been made a great opportunity to really look after your loyal customers more and win that bigger trip and make sure that they're shopping with your business. So, those businesses that have really uh, utilized their loyalty programs and their digital apps and and engaged in consumers... um, have really delivered value by locking those customers in. So we've actually seen customer loyalty rise um, significantly in a number of retailers.
0: The switch to e-commerce obviously has been massively accelerated by COVID-19. What does the data tell us about about how short-term behaviours have changed in addition to that? And what trends do you think we can expect to stay with us that won't be short-term?
3: So firstly, when we monitor those customers who've started shopping online, for example, for fresh food and groceries and health and beauty, um, and done that since the pandemic, we're actually seeing in the data over 59% are still continuing to do so. So that trend really is sticking. And on average, around 30% of consumers are using online pickup or ordering uh, around the world now. And in places like Asia, it's actually over 40%. But the key point on that one is it's driving more multi-channel shoppers who are using both the store and online. And they tend to be two to three times more valuable uh, than a single-channel shopper. So it really is helping drive an increased share of wallet. And I think some of the other trends we're seeing is a definite rise in the growth of eat at home with more people turning to supermarkets for their takeaways and meal delivery and more hospitality brands like Pizza Express and Yo Sushi selling through retailers, be it pre-packed or prepared on-site counters in the stores. Um, And we're also seeing people, you know, working from home more, therefore driving new rises in purchasing of more lunch occasions and a rise in more drinking at home. And the last area I'd say is that the third sort of big trend is the growth of personal care and hygiene. So with pharmacy and drug and supermarket channel growing those categories as people invest more in their personal health, whether it's immunity with the growth of vitamins, personal hygiene products, and actually healthier eating with more fresh food being eaten and even the rise of new areas like plant-based foods. I've seen evidence
0: that we are seeing a bit of an end to the split shop, particularly with grocery, with customers less willing to travel to multiple stores to fulfil their grocery needs. What does that mean for retailers and for loyalty?
3: We're certainly seeing the impact of COVID-19 being less shopping around and the bigger weekly shop. And in the UK, certainly that's driving some switching out of discounters, for example, with their limited range, back into some of the large supermarkets in their recent results Tesco was talking about how they'd seen net switching gains from Aldi for the first time in over a decade. Um, So we have seen some really interesting dynamics and, and shifting of behavior there. But as we look ahead, there's a lot of increased economic uncertainty and and more pressure on household budgets. So we think we're about to see the full economic impact on retail start to come through, which is going to mean a huge focus again on value and prices. And so, you know, those traditional retailers that aren't competitive enough will probably see customers shift back to some of those low price discount stores.
0: And What do you think is the best way for retailers to win loyalty? Uh, from customers at this point
3: i'd say firstly safety and security need to be continue to be top of mind for colleagues and 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 customers Um, our data is showing a third of shoppers still don't feel safe in the store so being on the front foot with the right measures cleanliness great communications great management of stock and, and product limits is going to be really key but next, uh, for us, is, it's all going to be about uh, making sure customers are seeing great value on these bigger baskets, which is about having the right mix of low prices, strong promotions, personalized offers, good private brands, because it's all going to be about helping customers plan their trips and, and showing them great value uh, over the next six to 12 months.
0: And where do you see that the balance of power? Uh, and perhaps the the shifting of balance of power between benefits that uh, are are driving loyalty versus the the value of fostering a deeper emotional connection with customers to build loyalty?
3: Yes, we we always look at loyalty uh, not being just about a loyalty program that gives points or discounts, but actually increasingly it's about the full shopping experience, the assortment, the service, the pricing. Uh, And as you say, more retailers are actually moving from that transactional loyalty to a focus on emotional loyalty. And that means having a clear purpose, accentuating their strengths, but also having a, a good customer first mindset that's taking the lead on initiatives, be it local communities, the environment, sustainability, health. So we're seeing a big shift in that mindset to being customer first and focusing on um, you know, a deeper emotional connection with customers.
0: Do you think we are going to see more of a race to the bottom with, with price being the, the key thing?
3: Well, I think we're going to certainly, as I said, as uh, with harder economic times uh, and pressure on household budgets, we're going to see it being very important to focus more on value And value comes in many different ways. It's not just about how cheap the product is, the quality of the product and value for money overall is really important. And there are different levers that retailers can pull around this. You know, some of it's about low prices, some of it's promotions, some of it's around the assortment you carry and and the private brands. So uh, I think we'll see focus on all of those areas. But to be sure, customers are going to have a much more frugal mindset. Uh, And taking care about how they spend their money. So retailers really need to be uh, thinking about how they're going to serve those customers uh, with that more frugal mindset.
0: Do you think there's been an increase amongst customers who are willing to recommend brands where they've had a good experience or they've had what they would perhaps consider additional value through the customer loyalty scheme?
3: I think customers do appreciate um, those brands uh, who go the extra mile, and and especially around personal touches. Uh, We help a lot of retailers do personalized content and recommendations and personalized offers. Um, And we're always amazed at the amount of responses the retailers get back from customers, thanking them for, uh, you know, those offers being very relevant and, you know, recognising maybe that they're gluten free or they've got young kids. So I think customers really do appreciate that and are willing to recommend. But equally, I'd say those brands that don't look out for customers and are more interested in their own returns are just as likely not to be recommended uh, and called out on social media. So it does work both ways.
0: How can retailers best use data to optimise retail performance and grow loyalty in the year ahead? And where should they be placing the focus and the resources and, and their energy to see those, those greater gains, which obviously they want?
3: Well, if I can call out three areas, firstly... As we've discussed a little bit, pricing and value, so using data and science to invest in the most price-sensitive lines and optimize the mix of promotions that you're offering. Um, The second area I'd say is simplifying the assortment, um, using the science to and the data to ensure you've got the right depth and breadth of SKUs in each category, Uh, and things like substitutability science to keep the right lines in the range and improve the display and layouts because by simplifying the assortment, you can reduce the cost to serve um, and drive efficiencies in your stores while still meeting customer needs. And I think the third area, we're seeing is with a pressure on margins, retailers can monetize their data better. So actually using the data science to help provide access for suppliers to get better customer insights through the data and provide more digital and personalized media for brands to connect with consumers. Um, Businesses like Amazon are making 4% of their sales from data and media. So it's a great opportunity for many retailers to tap into as well now.
0: David Clements, has been great speaking to you. Thank you for joining us on the Retail Exchange podcast. Bringing us to an end of this episode of the special from the Retail Exchange podcast. Thanks to our guests, Luke Jensen, CEO of Ocado Solutions, Chris Carter, CEO of Melody, David Clements at Dunhumby, and to you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. I'm Martin Popplewell. Goodbye for now. been listening to the Retail Exchange, your industry podcast.